I'm Jenna Ocean, and this is Little Ritual. Hello, guys. Welcome back to the podcast, and happy Friday. We are closing out eclipse season, y'all. Eclipse season always brings up kind of shadow stuff. Um, If you want more information on eclipse season, I think that Channy Nicholas is a really good resource for that. But all that to say is we are closing out eclipse season with an interview with Morgan Day Cecil. So if you're new here, every Friday I share a conversation with a guest and our talk, our chat is usually centered on spirituality and embodiment. And every Monday-ish, I try to share a shorter coffee chat where I invite you to share a cup of coffee with me as we discuss in miniature the cosmos behind the scenes and anything that I'm enjoying or learning at the moment. So a free, a few, here we go, cup of coffee in, a few brief announcements before we hop into today's episode. I actually have three today. So number one, if you haven't already checked out my retreat to Mexico in late January of 2024, what are you waiting for? Please go check it out. I am looking for one to two more people to join the surf and yoga embodiment retreat. I myself am a queer yoga instructor and water enthusiast. I lead retreats around the world where we come home to ourselves and each other through embodiment practices and adventure. I'm a type seven, so you know the adventures in there. If that sounds like you, go check out this retreat. I have only a (laughs) a few spots open, but I'd love to have you. So you can check that out and my other retreats at joyplay.org. That's J-O-Y-P-L-A-Y dot O-R-G slash retreats. I'll also link this in the show notes. Okay, announcement number two. I know this may feel early, but I am doing my usual holiday Reiki special and I'm starting to advertise it now because spots fill up. So for the months of December and January, I'm offering virtual 60-minute Reiki sessions for just $90. Usually they are $120 an hour, but the holidays can be crazy. So I like to offer you a more accessible rate, a little forehead kiss for Reiki sessions should you need it. To be totally transparent, these also help me out a ton because I have a lot of travel leading up to my Mexico retreat and things can get a little tight. So if you have felt called to do energy work with me and this and this sounds good, please DM me. If this rate is still an issue, DM me. We can absolutely figure something out and I don't want money to be an issue in connecting. Okay, number three, I have decided that I am for sure starting a virtual book club to begin in December. It shall be witchy of some sort. I want to keep this group relatively small to ensure that we have the opportunity to actually become friends. So if a small witchy-ish, witchy-adjacent, witchy-centered book club sounds, virtual book club sounds fun, reach out on Instagram. Instagram. (laughs) Okay, so without further ado, grab yourself a nice beverage and enjoy my conversation with Morgan Day Cecil. This is awesome. Um, I'd love to read your bio Mm -hmm. if you're good with that. Okay. Oh, also, okay. I didn't get your voice memo. Can you just tell me how you pronounce your name so I don't pronounce it wrong? Uh, Cecil. Cecil. Okay, cool. Thank you. Okay. So Morgan Day Cecil is an embodiment coach, spiritual mentor, and creator of the Feminine Wholeness Method a framework that gives women the tools to come home to themselves daily and embody their soul in the world. She has a master's degree in philosophy, amazing, and has spent 20 years training in mind, body, spirit methodologies for healing and transformation, including yoga, breath work, trauma release, hypnotherapy, deep feminine psychology, energy healing, and contemplative Christianity and Tantra. Morgan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Jenna. (laughs) Do you go by your first and middle name? Like, do people refer to you as Morgan Day or is it, do you prefer Morgan? Morgan? Yeah. Okay. Either way. Cool. 
Um, wow, you have like quite a depth of experience. That's amazing. And it de it totally comes out in your in your social media, which is lovely. Oh, that's good to hear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sometimes I go through seasons where I'm leading with the goofy side or the sexy side, and I'm not sure if the depth is there. So I'm glad you can perceive it. I think the depth comes out in the goofiness too. Personal good. opinion. Good, good. Yeah. Nice to see that. Mm. Um, yeah, that's, that's an interesting thing. Like, I don't know if, are you familiar with like the Enneagram by chance? Yeah. Oh, cool. Do you know your type? I do. Do you want me to tell you mine first? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're seven and guess. Okay. I'm a seven. Are you a seven? It is so, yeah, I'm part <laughs> seven. I've actually, like, I tested four and seven. Okay. And the more I move towards healing, I more toward, test towards seven, which is interesting. Mm. But the shadow of the four really nails me. Like, that's where I'm like, okay, I came into this world as a four. And I definitely yeah. believe the movement towards wholeness that we're not meant to just stay stuck in our numbers but it's yeah that's the one that like has my my number like the pain points of this four so it's like okay mm -hmm. I'm into the world as a four but I've tested as a seven too it's so interesting I I've talked to a lot of people and there's such a link between those those two numbers I wonder, which... yeah that's really interesting and I don't know very much about Enneagram anymore. It was like a season of our, when we were in church and we were actually Richard Rohr's book on the Enneagram was really yeah. test at the time. And that was probably maybe 10 years ago. So I'm not, I'm not a scholar of the Enneagram by any means, but I, yeah. it's interesting that there is a connection between the four and the sevens because fours are how I relate to the four. It's, it's really the individuality, the authenticity is really important that ex expression and then also the pain of being misunderstood and and not being special you know like the pain of just uh yeah all of that and then the seven is like so full of life and joy and then just wants to feel it all and experience it all and just to bring the joy to have the fun mm. and there's an avoidance of the dark and the feeling and mm. and um well I don't know how you relate to it. I would love to hear, but yeah, I was just, as you were talking, I was thinking, um, about how, when you were like, oh, I've been, I share sometimes the sexy side and sometimes the goofy side and in the goofy, I don't know if the depth comes out. And that just reminded me of type seven, because I feel like type sevens get pretty misunderstood or a big frustration for me as a seven that I've heard from others is like, oh, I don't know if people take me seriously when I'm just letting my guard down and having a, a fun time. Um, so I just kind of heard that thread and what you're saying. I was like, Ooh, I wonder if, if she's a seven. This points to just the, the experience of womanhood where we feel like we have to choose a box. Like we have to choose either. I'm the sexy one. I'm the smart one. I'm the mm. funny one, or I'm the caretaker one. You know, there's like these specific box of womanhood, these stereotypes. And I think we get kind of pegged into it from an early age and it's really difficult to break through because our identity is yeah. like, like oh I'm the sexy one or I'm the smart one or I'm the funny one and really the soul wants to be all of them like the soul wants wholeness the soul wants the permission to experience and express mm -hmm. all of it so I think it's good that we challenge the, the the stereotypes and the immediate assumptions the boxes that are easy just to put someone in and yeah I like the juxtaposition with like Let's play with goofiness. Let's play with glamour. Let's play with sexuality. Let's play with spirituality. That juxtaposition for me is really powerful. Yeah. I was thinking even like, as you were talking about how we fit into these boxes, I think movies are doing a better job at this now. But like when I was growing up, if there was any type of coming of age movie, that's the friend group was like, that's the smart one and the sexy one and like the rebel. And yeah, exactly. I think you're dead on where it's like you you know, in real life, you have all of those inside. Yeah. But um, I would love to hear, can you tell us a little bit about just how you got into the work that you're doing and, and what's exciting you right now about your work? Oh, I would love to. Yeah. <laughs> what drew me into this work is just being very aware of the problem of womanhood from an early age, just feeling the weight of being a woman. And for me, Puberty was synonymous, becoming a woman was synonymous with shame, some really difficult experiences around 
16 years of age, sexual trauma included, that, oh, man, I was terrified to become a woman. But I also wanted that more than anything else. I was very excited about life. There's a part of me that felt so alive and I was so creative. And the little girl in us that loves to dance and sing and write and create and draw and do all the things. And you want to be everything. You want to be the astronaut. You want to be the actress. You want to be, that's what I wanted to be. So it was both yeah. this aliveness running through me and then this terror because of these experiences that I had that really shut me down. So it was my journey of healing that brought me into this work to be able to heal from the pain and the trauma and to reclaim that energy of aliveness, that love, that original essence. And I haven't stopped. So <laughs> originally it was through philosophy because that's what felt safe to me. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of young women, I got disconnected from my body through sexual shame. And I, I did not know how to be a woman in the world and feel safe. I felt safe by myself, but being out in the world, I felt always on guard, whether I dressed dressed up let's say and I wanted to be seen it was like that experience of I want to be seen and notice I'm single I want a boyfriend and then also oh my god I'm terrified of any attention on me and that tension of how do I inhabit my womanhood in a way that feels really authentic to me and I hold a lot of dignity and, and dignity and I'm also allowed to be playful and sexy and invite in a partner because that's what I wanted and I wasn't ready yet and I didn't have a mentor, I didn't have a guide. And this was long before the idea of embodiment work was such a common thing. I mean, right now we've grown so much even in the past five years, six years around this work of sexual healing and embodiment, mm -hmm. but you know, 20 plus years ago, I was on my own. And so I was kind of re a recluse, a recluse into my head and philosophy. And I loved the big questions of life. And so I just pursued that path because it was an area where I got to explore these big questions about um, freedom. That was a big, big question for me. Like, what does it take to be free? And I got to learn in this safe way in these books by these great thinkers through poetry, through art, through philosophy until it, I got to the end of that road. And I, then I just was dying inside because I wanted to create. I want, I didn't want yeah. to be stuck in a book. Um, but I, I, there was a period in my life where I considered being a professor because I love learning so much. And it felt like such a safe place to be like academia. Yeah. But there's also this like burning aliveness in me that wanted to get out there and engage with the world and get dirty. And so what happened to me is I became a mother. I got pregnant, became a single mother, and that brought me down to earth. It brought me back to my body. That's when I really started my healing journey, really started. I couldn't run away anymore. That was my strategy in my 20s was um, as soon as things started getting real, whether it was in a relationship or I was in a place for long enough when I started dealing with the pain and the trauma that was always there within me, I would just pick up and move. I would do another mm -hmm. program. I would you know, dive deeper into my studies. You know, that was my strategy. Out of me, and it worked yep. for a while. It was so fun, right? Feeling and very then, seen. Okay. Yeah, so I think maybe <laughs> Enneagram 4 7 thing, too. It's like, oh, around the next corner, there's so much joy and aliveness. And that yeah. novelty really kept me. Um, me safe and it kept me distance from my healing and so when I became a mother it was like oh it's go time I cannot mm -hmm. run I cannot travel like I used to I need to be here I am here and I and I'm here in my body in a way I never have been before and it's really important that I start addressing the things that I've been avoiding not just for my sake but for his I wanted to be a mother who could parent her son mother her son in a way that led him to wholeness. And so I needed to go on that journey for myself. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. My pleasure. It amazes me. I've interviewed a few mothers lately and it just like kind of knocks my socks off how these mothers that I'm interviewing, including yourself, they they take up the the gauntlet of like, well, you know, maybe I would have liked a little more time to work on this, but this is the reality now. And I'm going to heal these lineages is really how I see it and pass on something better to my child. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's something so primal in us. This is the life force energy. 
and it arises. We can count on it when the going gets tough. And that's the thing. And we live in a world where we don't, we have a lot of comfort. We're not outside of our comfort zone very often. And something like unexpected pregnancy, <laughs> there's a lot of different things in life that can spur, spur this and prompt this and, and be a catalyst. But yes, motherhood is a huge catalyst that it's, mm. and, and it's beautiful because there's something that arises in us that for me, it was a strength I never knew I had. And I love I love that I believed existed, but I didn't know how to access because I was so blocked by my old patterns. Mm. This love just broke through and it guided me and it guided my becoming the mother. And it was through mothering. It was through, I mean, it's so embodied. The experience of motherhood is so embodied. Yeah. I don't think that you could get much more embodied than creating another body right and birthing that body and then nursing that body yeah so it's an incredible journey did you start um is is when you became a mother when you started making shifting from your work in philosophy towards work in uh more of the work that you do now or did that come later it came, it was the beginning. And um, maybe you relate to this is a four or seven. I was doing photography. I was always creating, like I had a million things that I was interested in. So if I wasn't going to be a professor, then I was going to be a photographer or an I artist. love it. The hats. <laughs> You're You're like, the hats. I can be an astronaut tomorrow if I wanted. That's exactly. <laughs> also may have to do with the ADHD. My husband just said, <laughs> but it was yep. like, Hey, you you are a jack of all trades and master at none. Um, but there was that was a season of my life where yes, I was a jack of all trades in a lot of ways. I I loved the the novelty and the the be able to create. For me, getting into photography and working as a photographer and owning my own business as a photographer was a great counter to years and years and years in academia and being a philosopher. And I just wanted to create something. So creating beauty was so, was so good for me. And it was also very grounding. The experience mm -hmm. of photography, of creating art for me was very grounding and very embodied. So when I was a single mother, I started my photography business and my photography business and my expression through my work grew with me. I shot mothers and I shot babies. And then I began to experiment with boudoir. And I love that. I loved it. I love giving women an experience of themselves as mothers or as human beings where they got to see their sensuality, their power, their beauty, as if they were a celebrity. You know, we, we open up the pages of Vanity Fair, Vogue, and these are goddesses, right? They're shot in such a way that captures their, their essence and the feminine archetypes of the queen, the seductress, the priestess. And there's a part of each of us that recognizes we are that too. So the power of photography is giving a woman this mirror. It's like, yes, like this is you too. And I love that. I love, 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 love giving women. Yeah, that gift. And then my work that I am doing now really grew with me as I, I got married. Found the love, like true love, true love partnership. And um, from that experience of knowing that I was now in a safe place, it was a deep soul knowing that this man is a good man. This man is trustworthy. He can hold me. He's not perfect. None of us are. But now I'm in, I felt more home than I've ever been before. And there was a deep uh, sense of coming home to my soul with him in this marriage. And then it opened up all of this pain, all mm -hmm the trauma that I had with sex, with men, with the relationship, with my body, with being a woman. So that's when the journey really began. And it was same question. What does it take to be free? This is like, I, it was the catalyst for the deepest healing around fear, guilt, and shame and good girl conditioning as a woman. And I did it inside my marriage and I'm still doing it today. So mm -hmm. Went to, went to trade, did all the trading, sex, love, and relationship, became a sex coach and married the, the artistry and the embodiment work, did hypnotherapy training, did energy healing, went deep into deep feminine psychology, did vision fasts, um, walked the Camino de Santiago. For me, the experience of healing and coming into full expression as a woman embodied in my wholeness was 
very much a spiritual journey. Mm. Yeah. Sexuality, spirituality being this energy, two sides of the same coin. And I didn't have to learn that. I knew that deep down. And it was only a matter of uh, trusting myself. Because at the time I was in the church and I had a lot of reverence for being in the church. But it was also a place of, I had an awareness of the way that God spoke to me and the journey that I was on that I didn't hear being preached on Sundays. So again, a lived experience. My lived experience was not tracking with the the sermons I would hear on Sundays. Mm-hmm. That was a difficult journey to be able to trust myself and really claim my spiritual authority as a woman. Yeah. Yeah. without um, leaving behind my faith completely. And every woman's journey is different. But for me, it was I, for me, this is just for me. I yeah. really wanted to be married, being mm-hmm. in a true love partnership with my husband and getting to grow old together. This is what I want. This is what I, this is what I choose. And this is what excites me. Also being a woman of faith is what I want. Like I want a spiritual path. Like I love prayer. I love being able to share that with my husband. And then in my work in sexuality and womanhood, there wasn't a lot of models I had for, for that balance. Mm-hmm. What I saw and what I experienced, and I love these women, it was rejecting the church, rejecting traditional conventional relationships and finding your freedom outside of these conventions that the conventions themselves were uh, limiting and they they weren't conducive to freedom or wholeness but that's not my experience i i think that there is a way to reclaim yourself in the desires of your heart you know if if these values are important to you if if marriage and faith is important to you you don't have to sacrifice who you are in this journey of soul no it can come to fruition in fact one of my mentors she teaches healthy constraints intelligent constraints create maximum freedom and that is a principle of life that i think is really really interesting to play with um so yeah lots of I really like that. And I think that's just true. Like, I think that's something we learn as kids is like, we actually don't do well with limitlessness. Like we need those literal boundaries of like the playground and this is how things work. Um, Mm -hmm. Wow. You said so much. And there's like, I can think of two things that I want to hit on. One was just something I thought of as you were saying, Jack of all trades, master of none. I think I think it's pretty clear from your story that like you're a master of a lot like jack (laughs) jack of a lot of trades and master of a lot of them (laughs) oh i just wanted to like kind of go back on that (laughs) but i will say i i will say because of the devotion and the years and the one path that i have not um, deviated from is this path of womanhood and getting free from fear guilt and shame and conditioning Mm. to experience aliveness and wholeness so yes because of the hours and the dedication and devotion I have become a master of that domain and that's how I get to help other women and I am an expert in that and but it's it's been through a lot of years I didn't become an expert overnight it wasn't just one weekend course or training that made me an expert or master it was my lifetime and included all of the deviations and the experiences that were quote-unquote mistakes or off the path or all of that is what contributed to my expertise in feminine wholeness because I believe it all belongs every part of our story every part of your story every part of a woman's story belongs and contributes to her wholeness I think um (laughs) also just to go back way back but um just wanted to say like on your Instagram story when you're saying that you feel excited and a little nervous like I also get very nervous for these interviews too and but I love like I love I just love hearing people's processes and I love hearing about how different each person's kind of path is like like 
like we're all kind of deviating from this like main river and we all like carve our own path and I know that for me I haven't I haven't found a home like within the church and I think that that's something that I'm drawn to when you ask like what drew me to you and your Instagram is is just seeing that you have I mean would you agree that you've kind of you've found your own way of expressing your faith within the church and um and yeah still, still learning still growing and still mm -hmm. open and but I yeah I, I do have an anchor there that is undeniable and I'm no longer resistant to I think <laughs> there was a season where I felt torn I felt torn I wanted to honor this power inside of me towards growth and wholeness and like full expression as a woman, full embodiment as a woman healing. And I didn't know if that was possible inside of the Christian faith. I didn't know. I had to be open to letting that go. And yeah. I was for a time. Um, but this, you know, God spirit holy spirit sophia jesus however you want to name it he kept calling me back and that's where for me personally i felt the grounding mm -hmm. and um i do think it's a very personal journal journey <laughs> my journals are filled with this <laughs> me too <laughs> um and um there for me there's something really beautiful about the story inside the christian faith that keeps calling me back and it mm -hmm. comes back to that life can always begin again, that if there's a redemption story for everyone. Yeah. Um, the law, I've actually had a Hindu teacher speak this and I thought it was so powerful. He says, the law of mercy is greater than the law of karma. And that- I, me, Yeah, I love that quote. Yeah, and that for me is mm -hmm. Jesus, you know, mm -hmm. Christ. And so there, yeah, like it's, I am I have no interest in being an evangelical or even, you know, and apologist but this is for me where my body and my soul live and abide so do you have do you what does that look like on like a practical level do you attend a church service or is it yeah. more of a personal prayer time can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like for you yeah my husband and I are this we share this spiritual journey and we pray a lot. So every single morning we're praying. We're praying in a specific way. Like we follow the liturgy, the the life of the Catholic Church. And mm -hmm. right now we are we are attending mass, which is like this is like it's almost I feel so like naughty saying. <laughs> <laughs> um it's it's hilarious to me that because I stand for a woman's wholeness and um to to break free from the patriarchal conditioning that it, that has limited us, that has bound us in fear, guilt, and shame. And what institution kind of is the mascot for patriarchy? It would be the Catholic Church, I think a lot of people would say. So sure. I feel very subversive um, being there. But there is what there is the front-facing Catholic Church, and then there is the hidden life of the Catholic Church that mm -hmm. my husband and I tap into. And there's so much mysticism there. There's so much divine feminine there, and there is it's fertile ground there's something so beautiful about that tradition I like liturgy for my brain that can be all over the place and yeah I really like the structure like I was pointing to intelligent constraints for maximum freedom I like the embodiment that I have going to mass and there's all these you know signs of the cross and kneeling and communion it's it's very embodied for me so we I I enjoy mass I, I love it and um and then prayer every single day, meditation. Um, those are the formal ways we are practicing our faith. I mean, if you look around my like our house, it would <laughs> there's a lot of Catholic icons. <laughs> and oh, cool. I, I love it, like candles. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, there's beautiful Catholic icons around our home, mm -hmm. and I find the gosh so much that is so rich there for for me. I always say that Catholicism is the most witchy of the Christianities. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. My uh my grandma, both of my grandmas were 
raised Catholic. Um, one of them, it she recently passed away, but she was from the Philippines. And because of colonialism and Magellan and all that, a lot of Filipinos practice Catholicism, but it's it's also mixed with like indigenous, yeah. you know? And I, I think of like the hidden, when you said the front facing and the hidden Catholic life, not hidden in a secret way, but just the backside. I, I think of my grandma who, when I, when I was reflecting recently, I was like, she definitely didn't practice maybe Orthodox mm -hmm. Catholicism. She was very devoted, but she was a magical woman. Like, and she did little magical things. Yeah. And, and some stuff was practical. Like she really, this is so random, but she really hated lizards. <laughs> I, like, I think growing up on an island, she just had too much of like things crawling. Mm -hmm. So she just hated lizards. So the most like witchcraft I ever saw my grandma <laughs> do was around lizards. Like she'd put salt on the lawn. She'd have like little crystals and like Chinese Zodiac stuff. And I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, the lizards. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> but and then my other grandma was Irish Catholic. Um, and I was talking to her last night and this is what I'm trying to get around to. And my mom who has passed away, her birthday's coming up. And I asked my grandma, Oh, are you going to light a votive? Because that's a common Catholic tradition. And she said, Oh no, the church took out all the votives. And I was like, I was, I don't know. I was like, oh, you can still light a votive. What's that? You can still light a votive. I don't know. Oh yeah. Yeah. Does she mean, I don't know. Does she mean like across the board? Like how recent was that? Like I, when you go to a Catholic oh at her church like specifically oh. like oh, they used to no yeah yeah they just they used to have like a bunch of candles and you could you know like you could go light one and anyway she said they took them out and I was like oh that's a bummer because that's my favorite part mm -hmm. of, of Catholic church you like the, to light the candles <laughs> yes I, I love Europe so much and I that's part of my love for the Catholic church is like the experience I had in in the cathedrals, in the chapels, lighting candles. Before um, I was really drawn to the faith, but there is something very embodied and feminine and mystical about that. And lighting a candle still is like, this is a moment that marks, like I'm entering into sacred time. Mm -hmm. And I that's how I use candles around my home is whether I'm lighting a candle for dinner or lighting a candle in the morning or lighting the candle before bed it's like this marks something it's a, i'm entering into a new state of consciousness mm. that yeah i like that even like when you, you you were making the motion of like striking a match and i think that is such a even that in itself is such a ritual that maybe I mean, people don't think of a lot of the work i do one-on-one -on -one coaching is helping women break free from trances because we are Ooh. in these trances of consciousness all the time. And I learned this studying hypnotherapy and being trained as a hypnotherapist because I was fascinated by the unconscious mind. The unconscious mind is our body, right? There's so many mm -hmm. patterns stored there. And what I discovered and what I was taught is that we are in a trance all the time. Like what hypnotherapy helps to do when we're breaking, we are breaking the trance. Oh, interesting. Yeah. This is like, we're break waking up we're coming back home to our clarity to our realness because we get into these zones and we don't realize how hyper focused we are on our anxieties our fears our shame and what is a trance it's just a state of hyper fixation so right. use that in a positive way to bypass the critical factor of the mind and access this focus on what's possible and access this realm of possibility and imagination that is actually a clear way of seeing but most of the time we're operating in a conditioning, a form of conditioning that is not our original essence. It is not divine. It is, it is, it is our ego and we can break free from that. So I like the match because it's like a symbol of this, like, yes, like strike the match. Like this mm. is the moment wake up. Yeah. I've never thought that is a really cool way of describing hypnotherapy to me where it's like, no, we're actually under a trance all, all the time. It's not in hypnotherapy that you, and I, I'm not an expert on hypnotherapy, but like in hypnotherapy, it sounds like you were breaking the sort of spell. That's a really cool way of putting that. 
Yeah. And it's such a powerful tool. And this is why my clients are able to experience the breakthroughs in a matter of weeks or months that even 10 years of therapy couldn't give them. Mm. In this space, in this sacred container, when you get to weave the tools in, the hypnotherapy with the embodiment, with the mirroring, because there's something really powerful when you work with the mentor, it is like wow, we snap back to grid, like our aliveness, our wholeness, it's right there. It's not complicated and it's not a forever distance away. It is actually closer than we could ever realize. And these tools I've found incredibly powerful as a way to consistently bring a woman home to herself again and again and again. Can you, I have three questions. <laughs> I would love to know about whatever you want to talk about in this realm, but I would love to know about selfies. Huh? Yeah. I would love to know about sex, <laughs> whatever you want to share. And um, I always do this. I only had two things, but I always want to do sets of three. I love threes. <laughs> Except for selfies and let's, why not? Sacred? Keep it with the ether? That's what I was thinking. Something with like, how does... Mm, yeah, we'll go sacred. How does spirituality play into your work? I mean, you've already talked about it so much, but um, from the birth, so, I, I, let's just dive in. Like, from yeah, the selfies <laughs> and the and I, I love to say like there is so much sacred hiding in the superficial. And what I love about selfies is that it's a very unexpected place to find God. I mean, in a lot of ways in our culture, it's like, oh, selfie culture is like, what's everything wrong about our culture, right? And so that for me is like, oh, there's something there then. There's something there. Because I yeah. I believe, you know, this is a gift of my philosophy studies, this idea that there is a third that's birthed from duality. And whenever you have a duality, black and white, there's a third that gets born. I that love, is I love this. The Holy Spirit, right? Like the third. So it's really important to look for it when we have these uh, either or, it's either sacred or it's superficial. It's let's get curious. What it, what can we birth there? So for me, all, all wisdom traditions point to the importance of seeing clearly. No matter what tradition, what religion, all wisdom traditions, the masters, the sages, had clear sight. They were able to perceive things. And to be able to see yourself is where we have to begin. It's the hardest thing to see in a lot of ways. But for a woman, when she reclaims that self-perception, there is a lot of miscellaneous things that just automatically break, they just shed, just like the walls fall down because it's such a rec reclamation of power. Right now, we we grow up and we are taught how to see ourselves from the outside in through the lens of our mother, our father, our pastor, our friends, our boyfriends, like our boss. It is a radical turning to be able to actually see yourself and to face the world without this lens on, like this hyper self-aware, self-conscious, like lens on yourself the whole time, but to be able to know who you are, to see yourself clearly and to move through the world from your orientation and your perception, your power, really. So it's, it is, a, it's a spiritual reclamation of power that is available to us through the selfie. Mm -hmm. And I mean, so much to, to say that, but to tee it in with sex, one of the areas of a woman's life that has been so riddled with fear and guilt and shame is our sexuality because there's so much power there it's primal it's 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 there's it's just it is it's just so divine mm -hmm. and not being taught how to own that for ourselves has made a lot of women live their life with half capacity and to be separated from their this what I call the sacred well within that never runs dry this like fountainhead of sacredness sexuality creativity femininity that just flows and sex is also a mirror like when we are with a partner who truly sees us adores us we get to see ourselves clearly too 
I believe in partnership. I believe in true love. I, I don't think that that's the only place to experience pleasure. I think there's, I mean, most women I coach before they are in relationship, or even if they are married, I teach them how to access pleasure in their bodies outside of penetration, outside of intercourse with a man, but actually mm -hmm. to be able to reclaim pleasure for themselves in their body. It's so important. But sex, this union, this, uh, this magical experience that I think a lot of us crave to be partnered and to experience this bliss, this pleasure, this union with a partner. In that state, we're also getting a mirror into what's true about us, mm -hmm. that we are so lovable, that we are beautiful, that we are adored, that we are worthy of pleasure, we are worthy of companionship, that we are safe, that there's goodness to look forward to. No matter how old we get. And this is, and I've been married for 15 years and you now my collagen is, I'm losing the collagen. My things are starting to sag and I'm not as tired. <laughs> and it's, it's like, wow, like to be able to still have this place where I feel so feminine and so alive and so beautiful. And it's this mirroring. So learning how to do that for myself through the selfies and also allowing myself to be witnessed in sex with my husband, with the person that I adore and I trust adores me. It's just, this is spiritual for me. This is sacred. This gives me the power to go out into the world and not care so much about what other people think about me because I know who I am. And even if I have days when I'm insecure and I'm, you know, I'm a little wobbly, like I have a person who sees me and will reflect back to me who I am. That, that is, is so beautiful. Yeah. And it's uh, the work that you do. It's so, it's so vulnerable. And, yeah. and it's, I just think like, I mean, even just from talking with you for 30 minutes, I trust you with, with my life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, your clients, they, they're really putting some, putting trust. They really trust you because you're, you know, reaching into these, these areas that are very, uh, can be very vulnerable and, and raw for people. Yeah. And that is one thing I hear a lot from my clients who, who work with me after doing a lot of other work, they come to me generally because they've done the therapy or mm. couples counseling or all sorts of training. And one of their wounding is with women. They've been wounded by by coaches or mentors or women in their life that they thought they were safe with, but actually those women needed to control them in some way or needed, they had an agenda and their ego yeah. was involved in some way. And I understand that. And that breaks my heart because this place of our healing to be able to be witnessed by another woman is so, so important. But for me, what took me so long to get where I'm at is because I also had that experience and I did not feel safe, did not feel I could be mentored. There's no way that I would trust a woman with, with all of me. You know, because part of it isn't just like, okay, yeah, you can be weak. I can help you. You can be the victim. But as soon as I started stepping into my power, that's when a mentor, a spiritual mentor, a woman would be like, whoa, 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 the breaks. And so there was no room to grow. I could only mm. stay broken. I could only, and that's, that's part of this like power dynamic that Ooh. we need to get away from is yeah. that the, a true mentorship coaching capacity, you, yes, bring, it's safe to bring your your weakness, your vulnerability, your brokenness, like your shame, your guilt, all of the stuff about you that makes you feel um, that your life isn't working. But it's, it should also be safe to bring your brilliance, your light, like your gifts, like your bigness. And, and that is something that is missing, I think. So it's really an honor for me to get to hold that space for my clients and get to see them shine and get to see them grow and, and surpass me in so many ways. Wow. That definitely resonates with me. I've, I've not had the best experience with mentors. Um, and I think that we all have a longing for one too, especially at certain moments in life. Like for me, it was very much in college and after my mom had passed away, you know, there's this need for, I like how you said, I don't know if you said a witness or a mirror, something of that sort. I think that's so important. Um, 
made for it. I mean, this is, we're relational mm -hmm. beings and I can only imagine how, how hard that must have been or just the pain of losing your mom. And I'm sorry for that experience. And I know it's contributed to who you are and the strength and the work that you do to help yeah. women for them. And, um, but it's, it's, I think sometimes we, we feel that need and this is, I would say the problem with this independent woman archetype, this boss babe archetype is when we feel our need for mentorship, for another, for, um, we, we feel a bit of shame about that. Like that must mean we're not enough because there is this idea that if I was, um, if I was healed, then I wouldn't need anybody. And it's not true. Like it's not true. And this is doing a lot of damage. I would say to women, this idea that if you can make your own money, you can have your own orgasms. You don't need a man for anything. Um, and you, you can emotionally regulate. You have the tools now, the embodiment tools to regulate your own nervous system and you shouldn't need anybody for anything. Like that is not life to the full. That is not the, the goal of being a human being. I would say the goal of being a human being is to be in relationship, to allow yourself these moments of like, I need my husband sometimes. I need my friends. Mm -hmm. And that's not... Uh, to diminish my strength or my sovereignty or anything about my wholeness. That is a part of my wholeness. And the kindest thing I can do for myself is to allow it and to be met in those places because I meet other people in those places. And so why wouldn't I allow myself to be met in those places on the receiving end? That is a big part of the feminine is to be able to receive that and to allow that part of yourself. Mm. I have two thoughts because um, one of them you kind of just answered. I was going to ask, you know, if it's, if it, I imagine it doesn't come easy to stay vulnerable and to stay open. Um, and so I was curious, you know, if there are any practices that you do and that you sort of recommend for people to, to stay vulnerable in a, in a world that does not always give you a pat on the back or a, like a warm reception for being vulnerable. Yeah. Does that make sense? Does my question make sense? Yes, it absolutely does. And I was just actually talking with a client this morning that she was bringing to me a version of this question and I could tell she was kind of shaming herself for, for not being strong enough to be vulnerable and self-expressed, you know? Oh like, man. Then it's like right? back on itself. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and she was describing to me the situation. I said, what if it's not a weakness at all, but that's your discernment? Because it's true that some situations, it is not safe to put our full self out there and to be sure. Yeah, we have to honor that has discernment as wisdom. And all the embodiment tools, being able to regulate your own nervous system, they're important to this because we have to notice our own signals. As when we start getting dysregulated and when we start feeling, okay, I'm coming up against my comfort zones and I feel pretty wobbly here. I'm probably prone to self-sabotaging or I'm probably mm. prone to acting out or repeating an old pattern. And I really want to grow beyond this. So how, how do I grow beyond this? And this is, happens in relationship. We need a mirror to help us cross that threshold. Mm. I believe that um, part of the human experience is to see someone who's a little bit further up on the road than you and to focus on that again talking about focus and the, the trance like if we are allowing our life and our old patterns to be our focus we cannot get where we're meant to go and I believe we're all created to live in our wholeness to be self-expressed and embodied so you asked a very practical question, like, how do we do this? How, and, and we can talk about it. How do we do this as individuals? How do we do this in relationship? And I can give some specifics. So what would you like to hear? I know we can have a whole, that, yeah. that could be a whole podcast in itself. Um, let's ask, well, I, I kind of was intrigued when you said we could talk about how we do this with others. Um, Whatever, yeah, is there anything 
specific that we could do to practice this with our like loves our with loved our, ones yeah like with like the sacred partnership the the others you don't mean others on the internet but you mean others in like our closest closest you know, circles yeah yes well there is a practice that I recommend for couples or anyone who just wants to create more connection and intimacy in their relationship and this could work with like best friends this could work with any dynamic but if you have a desire for deeper connection and deeper intimacy then yeah. it's a tantric neo-tantric practice where it, it kind of blends this eye gazing that you may have seen before but it, it's about these three questions and so you how it works is that you arrange a time and a place and you both are in agreement that you want this deeper connection and you, I think that consent is really important like it's never a good idea to spring it on your partner mm. or your kids or your best friend like okay we're gonna do this practice right now it's like whoa 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 I'm not in the state and I do what so I'm really bad at that that's something I'm working on I think now is a good time to do like in-depth prayer together and my partner's <laughs> like we are watching the Simpsons <laughs> yeah exactly. I'm the same way so I've had to learn this as well Jenna and <laughs> to express the desire that I would love to work on our connection and create deeper intimacy. Like, would you be open to doing this practice that I heard about? Something as simple as that. And, you know, getting their permission. Yes, I'm, I'm interested as well. And then you're like, great. Okay, it's going to be like 20 minutes. Like, when can we do that? And so to honor it by creating a time and space for it and having that agreement that it's like, yeah, we're doing this together. So once you have that, that, that time and space set, and this is what the intention is set, then what it is, is I recommend lighting a candle and coming into however you want to make the moment significant, whether that's through prayer or meditation or breath work or something that just is like, yeah, we're here for this intention. And, and then you just begin, right? It's awkward, but you look into each other's eyes and one person is the giver, one person is the receiver. And so you can decide that in advance. But the... The, the first person who goes asks a question and you set a timer. It's helpful. Remember, having intelligent constraints are always helpful. And so using a timer is key for this exercise. So it allows the person that's answering the question to feel like, okay, there is an end to this. I don't have to right. get vulnerable forever. Um, but you set a timer, let's say for two minutes. And the first person asks the partner, like, what are you, what are you, what do you love about me? And, and if it's not a romantic partnership, you can say, what do you love in the world? Mm. The first question is about love and being able to tap into like, yeah, what is it? Where is the love? What is it about the person that I'm with or the life that I'm living that I really love? And the job of the person asking the question is just to listen, to not interject, to not in mm. any commentary, no feedback, just the steadiness of gaze of just like a soft gaze and just holding that container for the person to share. And then after the two minutes is up, it's like, thank you. That's all. Like no comment, no feedback, no follow-up. Just thank you for sharing. Yeah. I like I as you're talking, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm like, right when you brought this up, I felt that mix of like nervous and also I love this. Yes. Yes. You know, where it's like, ooh, it's that intimacy type of thing. Yeah. Please okay. keep going. The next question is, um, what are you most afraid of? And and it could it's just it's open and you again like it's you're holding space. Whoever's asking the question is holding space, steady gaze. Not it's the same person, right? Like the the asker is the asker for this whole. Yeah, and this moment. I've done it both ways, and so you mm -hmm. can kind of play with it. I've done it where we we change off like the first mm -hmm. question, and I feel like that that establishes um a sense of safety and like mutual vulnerability at first like to alternate mm -hmm. once you have that established then you can one person can hold the container for the whole three questions and then switch when it's kind of like okay we're we're getting our feet wet here like i don't want to sure, be the yeah goes full out like this like reveals my soul and then like your turn comes you're like mm. Mm. <laughs> you know so you said creating that reciprocity yeah and building trust with each series of questions. So the second question is, what are you afraid of? And this is when the person who's asking the question really needs to be embodied and hold the space. Because some things may come up about the relationship that trigger 
right? I mean, it's vulnerable. And you can notice inside your own body, like, oh, I really want to comment on that. <laughs> or I really want to say something. But no, this is what makes the, this practice very sacred and actually creates this ability to be vulnerable is that so often we don't get a chance just to speak freely without interruption, without commentary, and just to let it be. And so it's really important that we have that, we honor that in this practice. And the third question, which is so fun, is what do you desire? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you let that be and just let it all. And there's in this, this beautiful journey you go on where the love establishes the safety. And then you go into the fear, which is the realness and the rawness. And that's like where a lot of magic happens and to be able to hold space for each other. And then you end it with this beautiful possibility. Okay, like what do we can create together? Like when you know your partner's desires, when you even hear your own desires. Yeah, that gets really exciting. Oh my gosh. I'm obsessed with this. Like I, and I literally am like, I'm like, I'm going to. I'm going to call my best friends and we're going to, I'm going to see if they want to do this. And I just, I love this so much. Yeah. Yes. It's so powerful. It's so good to revisit like with with yourself, even, you know, if you're like, Oh, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm ready to, to do this with a partner yet, but you could always self same type of sacred scenario where you light a candle, you bring out your journal, like you do start with prayer Mm -hmm. and you get yourself, like you can hold space for yourself, the masculine and the feminine within you. Totally ask the questions and hold space. And I think that that's what I was feeling. So I love journaling. I think we both kind of reference this. I love journaling. And it felt like when you're describing this tantric practice, like you're, it's almost like you're sharing a journal space with another person and allowing that to be a living journal. Yes, yes. And Tantra, what Tantra means, and it's a word that can mean so much, but this is just so we're clear, it's, this is not a practice that they were doing thousands and thousands of years ago. This is a neo-tantric practice which blends together the, this journaling prompts and these questions with the intimacy and the embodiment of eye gazing and holding space together. Mm. But what Tantra means is a gentle and playful path beyond. So this is one of the one of my favorite. It's a poetic meaning, but it comes from the the two parts of the Sanskrit word tan, which is connected to tenderness and also tension, and tra, which is a tool. Like mantra is a tool. Oh, yeah, and so a tenderness tan, tool. Yes, a tenderness <laughs> to go beyond, and it's the purpose is to go beyond whatever you're stuck in, whatever mm. block, whatever conditioning, whatever pattern. Tantra is any practice that takes you beyond the the cycles, the patterns into a new possibility. Wow. I love that. And I I never knew that meaning. So thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. Um, Sorry, what what were you saying? Nothing. Oh, um, well, I know we're coming up on time and I usually have a little way of like ending the the episode but I just want to say that I just I I just think you're great and I really just speaking with you you're just so beautiful and like you have to me this like high priestess energy that is so alluring like it just makes me want to work with you truly and um yeah I just wanted to tell you that (laughs) Thank you so much, Jenna. Well, when the time and place comes, like I would love it. It would be oh, so yeah. together. Absolutely. Um, okay, are you ready to play Morgan Day Cecil? Ces- Am I saying your last name correctly? So beautiful. Actually, that's how the English say it. And okay, Cecil. Yes, Americans say Cecil, but in England you would say Cecil. So you're welcome. Oh, I'm just very posh. Um, <laughs> Morgan, you know, are you? The name is from England. It's just my husband's last name. They were like the lords and bishops to the king. Oh. And so it is very proper. So I kind of like it when people pronounce it that way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. People mess up my my um my given name all the time. But it... They call you Joy. <laughs> oh, yeah, or Joy. <laughs> I get that I all the time. 
I love it. Like Jenna Joy, like you can just like, that's who you are in my mind now. But like, I thought your name was Joy. I have a friend named Joy and it's just, it's, but I love that that's your, your Instagram handle and you had to correct me. You're like, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People think my name's Joy all the time. Makes sense. Um, with my name, my business being Joy Play. But um, that's really interesting about the, I've been, uh, the UK has been brought up a lot. So I'm always like noting whenever it gets brought up again. I might see you in Europe on Ooh. that note love that yes yeah I'm very very I've always been drawn to Europe I want to go there so bad um but enough about me so just one thing five times are you ready to play yes okay, okay. <laughs> all right so Morgan what is just one thing that you like about yourself my resilience what is just one thing that you are proud of My resilience. Double whammy with that one. Yeah. Um, okay. What is just one thing that you're committed to? Delight. Delight is a spiritual practice. Mm. And love. And that's love with a capital L. Quick divergence. Are you into Zodiac at all? Like astrology? I wouldn't say I'm someone who's into astrology. I love it when my friends are and they, I get like, and they, <laughs> yes, but like, I have not studied that. I love that. Um, just because the whole time that you're talking, there's like a lot of the lioness imagery and like that comes along with Libra and Leo. And so I was just thinking about. Leo is my yeah. rising sign. Cool. <laughs> I, I can't that. tell you much more than that, but my friends who are really into it, like you're a Leo rising. I'm like, okay, noted. Don't know exactly what that means, but the Leo's the lioness, lion, right? Yeah, yeah. And and Leo rising is such a beautiful placement. My my very best friend in the whole world is a Leo rising. Um, it's yeah. Do you know what's your sun sign? Sagittarius. You're a Sagittarius. I'm a Sagittarius. <laughs> yes. There we go. <laughs> That makes me happy. Makes um, <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Um, what is just one thing that pisses you off? Shame. That piece. Shame. The, yeah, oh man, there's so much I could say about that. Just the, the way that we embrace the lies, like the mm. all what you will, resistance, conditioning, the enemy, like darkness, like that is just... <sighs> no the heavy stuff the yeah. it's like, sticky it's, it's like no i will i refuse to let that that whatever that is win mm. i believe in love and that there is happily ever after in some beautiful romantic poetic cosmic sense for everyone i love that I don't love shame, but yeah, um, what you said. Um, and thank, thank goodness for people like Brene Brown who have done yeah. now like research and are bringing it to our attention. Yes. Um, yeah. Gift of Imperfection is in the first book I read of hers back, yes, you know, almost 20 years ago. My son was just a baby and it was, it's my favorite one to this day. The Gift of Imperfection. It's a good one. They they had us read that for yoga teacher training. It's Aww. it's a goodie for those listening. Would recommend. Um, okay, so I think I did four, right? Yeah. The last question is, what is just one thing that you would like to do before you die? Live in Europe. Any specific country? Um. Well, Spain first, then Italy, then. <laughs> Yes, I have some ties there. I think it's coming into fruition, but this has been a desire of my heart for so long. In and Italy? Yes, 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 mm. specifically Puglia. Is that where your That's heritage is? I wish that my heritage was in Puglia. Like maybe we'll find something someday. I do have 23 in me and I haven't found it yet. But interestingly, the Coptic Christian, the Egyptian is in me, which is, I think is- Whoa. Very that is significant yeah you have some cool archetypal ancestor stuff going on Coptic Christians in Egypt so um but yeah Puglia being a place that we're actually buying land in a little olive grove and so we'll have some there 
Which, sorry, I just hit my hand on the table because I got so excited. Um, Thanks for sharing the excitement. Anytime, anytime. Um, well, awesome. Is there anything that you want to leave us with before I ask you to share your socials so that people can get a hold of you? I just want every single person listening to believe in life as a love story. Mm-hmm. That you are made for true romance and meaningful adventure. I believe that at the bottom of my heart. That's when I say like resilience is my favorite thing about me is because I have lived a life that was not romantic and not adventurous. I felt stuck. I felt trapped. I felt so much shame and so distanced from the woman I wanted to be, really desired to be. But I never gave up this belief in true romance and meaningful adventure and life as a love story. And that resilience, that belief has kept me going. And now my life is that. I'm married. I have two kids. We're buying property in Italy. It has been a long road to get there, but it is it is happening. And this is what I believe each one of us is made for. It's not a life free from suffering. Like that's There's going to be suffering. There's going to be pain, but there's a movement through it. And there's a pathway through it where you get to experience life and life to the full and radical aliveness, pleasure in your body, deep connection in your relationships, and a true sense of purpose in who you are. So that's what I want to encourage every single woman listening to just believe from the bottom of their heart. And if you don't have it within yourself, then lean on my faith and my journey because it is yeah. for you too. Oh, amen. Amen. What a good end note. Um, okay, so... Tell us how, how can we buy your stuff? How can we get in touch with you? How can we work with you? Well, there's a lot. I have a lot of DIY courses, everything from Body of Bliss, which is to help a woman find pleasure in her body, to Heal Your Own Gaze, which is the the sexy selfie, like deep feminine archetypes, like healing the way you see yourself. And that course is really powerful to my one-on-one mentorship and coaching in the sacred feminine wholeness. And a place to begin is I have a free download of 13 of my most favorite feminine embodiment practices. You can have it as a little cheat sheet. It's the practices that I do morning, noon, and night and recommend for my clients to do morning, noon, and night to feel more connected to their feminine energy and wholeness. And it should be available, I think, directly from my website or just DM me on Instagram and I'll get it to you. It's I'm at Morgan Day Cecil Cecil at Morgan Day Cecil. Oh, <laughs> awesome. I'll link all of this in the show notes as well. Um, thank you so much, Morgan, for being on the podcast. So much. And it was such a joy. It's so <laughs> play. It's everything. So it's it's an honor. I really am honored that you would invite me on and spend this time and share me with your audience and all of it. So I look forward to whatever is to come. Thanks for listening. That was my conversation with Morgan Day Cecil. Go follow her on all the social media, all that stuff. I have it linked in the show notes and I will catch you Monday for our coffee chat. Bye.